Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan, and today I'm with Lindsay Lotzball and Mandy Johnson. Hello. And uh, we are going to be looking at 2 Samuel 12. Primarily what we're looking at today is this story that is the rape of Tamar uh, and everything that kind of goes into that, the fallout from it, and all the the different people involved in this situation because it kind of spreads out. Um, So as we're reading through this, um, what is sticking out to you guys as we go through this story? Yeah, I think for me, this is such a powerful story and continues with a lot of powerful things that are in first and second Samuel. Um, but we see a repeated theme of women actually being highlighted, which is really, uh, unique in that culture in that time. Uh, we, this is the third time that a woman is kind of the central part of the story and it doesn't normally go well for the women when they are being highlighted. So that's, that's a little bit challenging. And I think the thing that stands out to me is just the magnitude of when God records the story of his people, he does not tell lies and he does not cover up. We do as people. I mean, I think you can look at that any country in the world and you go read their history books and it's all, you know, how great our country is and the highlights and all our leaders were amazing and the leaders of the other countries were the bad people. We're never bad people. But when God tells the story of his nation and his leaders, he is relentlessly committed to the truth, even when it possibly makes God look bad, because I think a lot of people do uh, often look bad. So it's just, it's amazing, because here we have David's sons, and Amnon, you're going to see, wants his sister and does not want her as a person. <laughs> he wants to have sex with her. He is lusting after her, and he arranges to get that, and he rapes his sister. And then Absalom deals with that because it's not being dealt with, and he murders his brother, and it's just all downhill from there. And the, the thing that really stands out to me here, this is the amazing thing, is that you'll see when you hear the story that Amnon and Tamar are in this room with all these servants. And then Amnon sends all the servants out of the room. So now the only two people in the room are Amnon and Tamar. Am I saying his name correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you would say it? Um, that is how it was said in the reading. Okay, I can't that's, say that it's that's correct. That's authoritative. That's, the <laughs> that's where the confidence is. Yeah. But I, it's amazing because now they're the only two people in the room. So the only two people, apart from God, who truly know what happened are those two people. And it would be have been so easy for people to be like, well, you're never really going to know what happens. But Tamar was believed. She said, this is what happened to me. I was raped by my brother. And they believed her. And God believed her because he knows what happened. Um, and then he records it. God records not just the stories of people's heroes. God records and notices those who suffer and those who society overlooks and don't believe. I think it's really like you saying that is such a good thing to bring to our attention because sometimes you can read this and it can feel really heavy, right? We're on April 27th and we have been in some deep, dark places and you can wonder like, why is this all in here? You know, like, could I just get to the fruits of the spirit, please? (laughs) And anyway, you saying that makes me think like, okay, 
Like mm-hmm. there's a purpose for recording this, like to hear the voices of people who often don't have a voice to see what does God actually think about injustice and the treatment of women. And especially in this time, like the fact that so many women are getting airtime, not for great reasons, but highlighting, Hey, like there's value on people who have been very marginalized mm-hmm. and the people in power aren't as heroic as they would like us all to believe. Yeah. Um, God's the hero of this story. Always. Always, right? Because we just be out here screwing it up. Well, not it's... not me. Well, and just I th- these people. I think the temptation <laughs> I think the temptation even today is to feel like the way we defend God, which when you try to defend God, it goes really weird places, <laughs> as we all know. But the way we defend God is by sugarcoating his people. Mm. And we see in scripture, that is not how God Mm -hmm. does it. He tells the truth about his people. And we, it just, it doesn't work. Even today, we don't defend God by denying sin and evil. We, God can handle it. Mm -hmm. And the watching world actually is more drawn to the God that we serve when they see we are committed to the truth. Wherever that leads us, we are willing to speak out when we do wrong, when other people do wrong, when we mishandle. That That's why we're supposed to be called people of humility and repentance. I have so many questions. <laughs> Question number one. So then how does that translate in real life to people who have leadership responsibilities, specifically in religious organizations such as a church? Um, I think it's really scary for people who we serve um, to hear the truth sometimes of our actual humanity. And so for instance, um, you know, when I, when I got divorced several years ago, you know, I had thought about going through divorce care and I never went through divorce care here at worship center because I always felt like, well, I can't be honest in the place where I'm employed. Like I can't go to my dark places and be, you know what I mean? And part of me feels really sad about that. And you're saying this right now, like, no, God's committed to the truth. Like these people, they got things like they're not perfect, et et cetera. Um, So does anybody have any thoughts on that? Uh, (laughs) Lindsay just pointed at me, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's possible that we've actually conditioned ourselves to not be open to that. Like, you know, just, just because there is this. I think what you're speaking about is like, there's this little bit of air of like, well, I, I work at a church, I'm a pastor or something like that. So I can't actually tell the truth. Yes. That is exactly what I'm saying. But I think, I think that's a conditioned response. And I think the fact that, I mean, obviously you can't, I can't be like, okay guys, it's time for me to be honest. I've been sleeping with six different women. Also, that's not true. So, (laughs) but like, you know, that's not a time to be like, you know what, we're going to come around you and just celebrate you because you're telling the truth. It's like, no, there's, there's going to be like, it's great. You're telling the truth. Also, you're probably not going to be a pastor anymore. Like, yep. we're not talking about That's true, Ryan. <laughs> if that was true, again, this is a hypothetical. You would not <laughs> this be a soundbite is a real bummer. If somebody cuts, yes, this. we are in the age of soundbites, so we'll just see how this goes. Well, I think this is you're highlighting something so important, though, because and we see this here. This is the difference between worldly secular vulnerability, which is a virtue in and of itself. Just being honest, yeah. accept me as I yeah. am. 
this is, you know, I'm just keeping it real, people. Yeah. Don't reject me versus godly biblical vulnerability, which brings humility mm-hmm. that says, I'm not just telling you my dark side to just say, accept me. I'm telling you because I'm humbling myself before God and his word and saying I'm wrong. Mm. And that's a day-by-day practice. Yes. So, so that kind of humility is something that we live in. Now, what's interesting is I feel like when people start to celebrate humility is after these enormous situations that have come out of years of secrets and darkness. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but aren't we supposed to be humble? It's like, no, we're not going to play this gotcha game. Like we are are called to be humble servants of God, regularly being repentant, regularly speaking the truth about our struggles. And so the time to confess those sins is like, oh, I felt this in my spirit. Like... That's not right. I want to. I want to live openly. I want to confess the fact that, like, I felt myself heading that direction. I don't. I need. I need some help. Mm-hmm. The time to celebrate the truth is not okay. I, I've I've done all these things for years. I want to be repentant now, and also I'd like to keep my job. Mm. So can we do that, please? It's, it's like it's not. There's that's a- why I think it's a conditioned response because I think it's been going on for a bit, and we are in this age now of these huge Christian leaders that, of course, are just having colossal failures. Yes. Um, but but those are failures that didn't just happen yesterday. They've been happening year over year over year over year. Yeah. And nobody's calling them out. And a lot of times you'll find that people could have been calling them out and didn't. Ooh. So there's a lot more to unpack there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, just, a, <laughs> just a little. I, I, but one thing I had read once was like, the difference between honesty and integrity and, and honesty does not always include integrity, but integrity always includes honesty. And I yeah, think that's, that's the difference. Mm. Like really to show up and be like, well, I'm just being honest. You, you know what? Slow clap for that. But also maybe how about integrity, you know, yeah. because you can always like integrity's just the call higher, you know, than honesty. Yeah. I think, I think that's good. And I think for all of us is that personal application um, to be people daily of repentance. Yes. Yeah. Not just vulnerability or honesty, yeah. like you said, but people, integrity involves humility and repentance. And like you said, Ryan, day by day, not just when it all blows up like it did in the story. How many, I mean, David didn't discipline his kids, but spanking probably wouldn't have solved this. But, uh, <laughs> but right, you don't just wake up one day and rape your sister. Right. right. There's already things going on. There's already things. And, Christians are supposed to be professional repenters. We are mm-hmm. supposed to love it. Mm-hmm. And that's our gateway to freedom. That's our gateway to a whole and free life. And I think that's the thing that brings honor to God is, yeah. is when we actually live that. Well, you were talking earlier about what people, things that people notice and things that pr- people appreciate when I forget exactly how you said it, but basically like the way we bring honor to God is living in this consistent way that people notice yeah. what people don't notice or people don't care for is like, wait, well, yeah, I've been doing this for years and now I got caught. So I'm going to tell the truth. Yeah. That's not a time for gotcha God to shine. It's not. like, yeah, we've seen this before. We, we know yeah. about you Christians. This is yeah. how you do life. And yeah. it's, and I think the unfortunate truth is how a lot of us do do life and it's just not, not what should be in the cards for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, just to wrap this up with a parenting tip um, that my children. I, I like that direction. That yeah, seems yeah. like that, that's the most logical next thing. Yeah. The lo- yeah. Always. I'm here for the people that are just like, how does this apply to my life? But one thing that I think maybe, you know, maybe that David wasn't doing with Amnon, he wasn't spanking him, nor was he doing this. 
Um, when, when my kids do apologies, we don't just do, you know, cause coming up and being like, sorry, is like, okay, well, I don't know what that was. That wasn't repentance. So we do this thing where we go, I'm sorry. And then I, you know, we say for what, yeah. and in the future, I will. And the reason I'm sorry is because it was wrong because da 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 da, right? You have to like, here's why it was wrong. Here's what I'm going to do. Will you forgive me? And it's a whole rigmarole because A, people don't want to be forgiving in my house. They're like, I'm not ready yet. And that's whatever. We're on our own journey with that. But even just speaking out, like, it's not just a blanket, I'm sorry. It's like a naming the thing that was the thing that broke your heart or the thing that hurt you is very powerful to have yeah. to say that out loud. Like when I do that for my kids, hey, I'm sorry because it was wrong because I treated you like you didn't matter. Yeah. Ugh. You know, but there's something really powerful in that. Like we can actually restore what was broken between us. And so I think Amnon could have had maybe some of that, but he didn't have Pinterest. So he probably didn't know about that. <laughs> That's probably the problem. Probably the problem is the absence <laughs> yeah. of Pinterest. I like it. His aunt wasn't reminding him with memes on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. How could he have known? <laughs> that, this is the issue. There was not enough social media in that day. All right, fantastic. Uh, no. <laughs> so I think like as we just kind of wrap this thing up, this is um, you're starting to see the wheels come off now. So they, they already have been. Uh, yesterday, we dealt with this David and Bathsheba situation where there's just incredible sins playing out. Uh, Nathan said, like, things are not going to go well for you now at this point, like, this is going to be bad. And we're starting to see that take shape. We're going to continue to see that take shape where this is just not a positive thing. This family is going to have all kinds of drama. It's, Maybe it's they going to get crazy. It's probably a good thing they don't have social media. Yeah. They'd probably be like at and people left and right. They would have been a reality right. show. So. Yeah. They'd be really great on MTV probably. Yeah. Maybe. Wait. YouTube channel. Are we going to talk Idea. about a, a, a girl who's in her 20s? No. 15. She's 15. I met with her the other day and she said... There was this channel back when my mom was younger. It was like in the old, like in the older times. It starts with an M, but like she was referring to MTV and she didn't even understand what it was. And I was like, that like shaped my life. That sounds right. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? This is where we live in now. I know. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to God's Whole Story. We will be back tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Second Samuel 12. Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I will capture it and get credit for the victory. So David gathered the rest of the army and went to Rabbah, and he fought against it and captured it. David removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and it weighed 75 pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks and iron axes and to work in the brick kilns. That is how he dealt with the people of all the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. First Chronicles 20. Then David went to Rabbah and removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on his own head. The crown was made of gold and set with gems, and he found that it weighed 75 pounds. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah and forced them to labor with saws, iron picks, and iron axes. That is how David dealt with the people of all the Ammonite towns. Then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem.
2 Samuel 13. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother Shimea. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Balhazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shearers are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well then, Absalom said, If you can't come, how about sending my brother Amnon with us? Why Amnon? the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend, including Amnon. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. As they were on the way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all the king's sons. Not one is left alive. The king got up, tore his robe, and threw himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shimea, arrived and said, No, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. 
Then the watchman on the Jerusalem wall saw a great crowd coming down the hill on the road from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from the Horonim road along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. The king's sons are coming, just as I said. They soon arrived, weeping and sobbing, and the king and all his servants wept bitterly with them. And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years, and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Joab realized how much the king longed to see Absalom, so he sent for a woman from Tekoa who had a reputation for great wisdom. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning, wear mourning clothes, and don't put on lotions. Act like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for a long time. Then go to the king and tell him the story I'm about to tell you. Then Joab told her what to say. When the woman from Tekoa approached the king approached the king, she bowed with her face to the ground in deep respect and cried out, O king, help me. What's the trouble? The king asked. Alas, I am a widow, she replied. My husband is dead. My two sons had a fight out in the field, and since no one was there to stop it, one of them was killed. Now the rest of the family is demanding, let us have your son. We will execute him for murdering his brother. He doesn't deserve to inherit his family's property. They want to extinguish the only coal I have left in my husband's name, and family will disappear from the face of the earth. Leave it to me, the king told her. Go home, and I'll see to it that no one touches him. Oh, thank you, my lord, the king, the woman from Tekoa replied. If you are criticized for helping me, let the blame fall on me and on my father's house, and let the king and his throne be innocent. If anyone objects, the king said, bring him to me. I can assure you he will never harm you again. Then she said, please swear to me by the Lord your God that you won't let anyone take vengeance against my son. I want no more bloodshed. As surely as the Lord lives, he replied, not a hair on your son's head will be disturbed. Please allow me to ask one more thing of my Lord, the king, she said. Go ahead and speak, he responded. She replied, why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you have refused to bring home your own banished son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. I have come to plead with my Lord, the King, because people have threatened me. I said to myself, perhaps the King will listen to me and rescue us from those who would cut us off from the inheritance God has given us. Yes, my Lord, the King will give us peace of mind again. I know that you are like an angel of God in discerning good from evil. May the Lord your God be with you. I must know one thing, the king replied, and tell me the truth. Yes, my lord, the king, she responded. Did Joab put you up to this? And the woman replied, my lord, the king, how can I deny it? Nobody can hide anything from you. Yes, Joab sent me and told me what to say. He did it to place the matter before you in a different light. But you are as wise as an angel of God, and you understand everything that happens among us. So the king sent for Joab and told him, all right, go and bring back the young man, Absalom. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last I know that I have gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king gave this order, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. And cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. He had three sons and one daughter. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she was very beautiful. 
Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, but he never got to see the king. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, but Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, Go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire, as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Gesher if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king that what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king kissed him. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.